0: Hi, this is Dean Brenner. This is Alice Turnquist. And 5G is going to change the world and already is changing the world because everyone needs better, faster, more reliable connectivity.
1: This is Sean Kinney and welcome to Will 5G Change the World? usually weekly podcast where we engage with a wide variety of industry experts to answer that important question. But first, in an effort to get to know our guests a little bit better, we like to pose three questions from the Prowse Questionnaire. Dean and Alice, are you ready for those questions?
0: Ready to go. Yes, ready.
1: All right. First one for you, Dean. What do you consider the most overrated virtue?
0: I consider patience, especially patience with the status quo, to be the most overrated virtue. The problem with patience is that the flip side of it is it can cause a lack of urgency. And at Qualcomm, and in our work on uh, connectivity, we can never feel a lack of urgency, especially during the past year with COVID, getting better, faster connectivity through 5G, through... uh, all the different technologies that we work on is absolutely urgent.
1: And that'll certainly be relevant to our conversation today. And uh, Alice, the second question for you, when and where were you happiest?
2: Well, uh, that's a tough one because I'm fortunate to be a generally happy person with a a lot of happy experiences to choose from, uh, especially working at Qualcomm for the last almost 20 years. Uh, But a particularly happy experience, I would say, is... For me hiking to Inspiration Point in the Adirondacks near Lake George with my family, which is something we've been doing since our kids were toddlers. And it's just one of the most beautiful and serene places on the planet.
1: And Dean, another question for you. What do you most value in your friends?
0: I think the biggest thing I value in my friends is the long-term nature of the relationships. Almost all of my friends I've been friends with for 10, 15, 20, 30 plus years. So I love the fact that uh, if I don't talk to a friend for some period of time, when we do talk, it's as if we pick up right where we left off. Uh, Just the fact that I could have abiding long-term relationships with uh, so much uh, endurance to them is what I value the most.
1: So Dean, you mentioned the status quo and, and having patience with the rate of change. Um, this is something I've discussed before with both of you, and it's the digital divide and the homework gap. Unfortunately, it is the, the status quo in uh, the U.S. and in a lot of places in the world, but it shouldn't be and it can't be based on some of the realities that we're facing here. Um, our last discussion about this was about a year ago, early days of covid And it was certainly drawing attention to these inequities around connectivity and device access and the impact that was having on students as they transitioned from in-classroom instruction to remote learning. So here we are 11 and a half months later, the problem persists. We've seen some small-scale efforts to address the problems, but uh, we need a large-scale solution here. So are we any closer in the U.S. to addressing this issue at scale?
0: Yes, Sean, I think the good news for all of us is that we are much, much closer to finally addressing this uh, solution, this problem at scale. So let let me review where we are. So um, for many, many years, Qualcomm, Alice and I have been advocating that the FCC's E-rate program needs to be modernized because that program covers only connectivity within school buildings and it doesn't cover devices. So we don't have a federal program that provides funding for schools to make sure low-income kids can have a connected device and can have connectivity to use that device. The good news is that in the American Rescue Plan that President Biden put before the House and the Senate, there is a proposal for over $7 billion in funding, in emergency funding, directly targeted, dedicated funding to solve that problem. It would use the FCC's E-rate program. Low-income schools around the country all know how to use that program. They access it. All 50 states have an E-rate coordinator. And if this legislation becomes law, the the, uh, FCC will quickly issue emergency rules and that money will flow very quickly to schools targeted specifically at low-income students for connectivity and for devices. So that bill has passed the House. It's now about to be taken up by the Senate. We hope that the provision passes the Senate and then gets signed into law by President Biden. And to her credit, acting chairwoman, Jessica Rosenworcel of the FCC, is already moving in parallel to make these changes to the E-rate program. So almost uh, a few days after getting named as acting chair of the FCC, she initiated a a rulemaking at the FCC to consider making these same changes. So there has been progress between last year when we spoke and today in the sense that there has been general funding from the prior COVID bills to schools and they have so many different needs, you know, keeping school buildings clean, protecting teachers, dealing with a declining tax base, during COVID, but some schools around the country have done a great job of using the existing funding that the COVID bills provided to address this problem, but we need one big influx of money, and the good news is we're on the goal line here of getting that. I, I
2: agree wholeheartedly uh, with everything Dean just said. I would just uh, add that you know our problem is more acute today, obviously, than it was even, you know, than it was a year ago, I think a year ago, we expected that students were going to be going back to school in person in September, 2020. It would, it, it, it seemed inconceivable. We were, we were stunned by the, what the impact might be of a loss of school time from March till the end of the school year. But the idea that we would have gone another um, whole, you know, uh, you know, two, two more semesters of school for students was, was just inconceivable, but that's in fact where we are. And, um, you know, t- at this point, roughly two thirds of public school students are either fully remote or partially remote. So the need has grown exponentially compared to what we thought it was a year ago. But as Dean said, we are on the cusp of significant change with the house bill, hopefully passing in the Senate.
1: So the E-Rate program you mentioned, uh, maybe we could look uh, uh, from a historical point of view here, but it's it's been around for a while, and this notion of adjusting it to include connectif- connectivity off of the school premises as well as devices, also conceptually not new. Um, I believe the FCC's conducted several pilots dating back to maybe as early as 2011 uh, around this issue, so I'm just kind of curious why a decade later, we've piloted this, we've seen positive outcomes, but the change hasn't been made permanent. Help me understand, is that just the nature of bureaucracy or is there there more to it?
0: Well, change in public policy, Sean, is always hard. The pilot projects were spectacularly successful. The proof is in the pudding. There were 20 pilot projects funded by the FCC, and the recipients of the pilot projects, which were school districts all around the country and one library system filed reports with the FCC in which they documented the the outcomes that they achieved during the pilots. And the outcomes were much greater student engagement with the material, um, much more success on uh, test scores um, in areas like reading and math, much greater parent engagement and teachers we're able to spend much more time teaching as opposed to spending time on administrative tasks. So we know that if we get this funding passed, the results are gonna be successful. And we also know that even if we get the teachers vaccinated, which I know is now a a priority the president announced yesterday and which is so important. And even if we do open up schools um, uh, for a full school day, we all use connectivity for so many things in our lives that we know that the kids will use the connectivity and the connected devices for education with successful outcomes, even in the future when schools are all uh, fully open again. So, you know, the problem has been a lack of focus. No one has ever in our history of discussing this issue, no one's ever told us this was a bad idea no one's ever argued, oh, no, that's not going to work. It's just things have different pri- public policy ideas always have different priorities based on that exigency, based on the urgency of the situation. And unfortunately, w- with COVID, as Alice said, it's it became a problem in March of 2020, and then it just snowballed, and it grew and grew and grew. And, it, you know, just been such a Gigantic problem. I mean, imagine when uh, if any of the three of us were in school, if in a, you know, let's say we were in the third grade and we're in a class with 30 kids, and the teacher says, okay, you 20, you get books. Here are your books. But the other 10, you know, we're sorry, we're not going to give you books. You know, you can just bring your own or you're on your own. Now, that would be inconceivable. K through 12 education in this country is free and universal. And, you know, connectivity in a device is just simply, you know, an inextricable part of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. I mean, it was, uh, you know, in addition to the FCC pilots, uh, Qualcomm, you know, we had funded our own pilot. Um, It was, um, I think, 13 years ago, 2008, I visited Southwest High School in Jacksonville, North Carolina, um, where Qualcomm had funded a pilot to demonstrate the value of Using smartphones for ninth graders to improve their algebra performance, and that showed as much as 30% improvement in their scores. So we have known for this long time, um, and then in addition, you know, the FCC pilots that Dean mentioned. Um, but fortunately, I guess, um, uh, sort of uh, because of the pandemic, it really has become much better understood how critical this need is.
1: So we're recording this on March 3rd, on uh, February 25th, the FCC, under the direction of acting Chairwoman Rosenworcel, who you mentioned, Dean, um, they approved an emergency subsidy that gives $50 per month to eligible low-income households to pay for broadband service. The number is $75 per month for households on eligible uh, Native American lands. And then there's also this one-time $100 in funding for a computer or tablet so this is another positive sign, things like this emergency subsidy that it is an important issue and it is receiving the attention it deserves to a degree. We've also got things like the RDOF auction to provide a significant amount of funding to build out networks in underserved communities throughout the country, then e-rate as we discussed, but you know, all of these things, they're they're working around the same problem and I don't know if it's fair to say that it it lacks clarity and and mission and and vision, but there's just this disconnect between the fact that we've identified the problem, there's consensus that it needs to be addressed. We know what the solution is, but there's just this asynchronous process to solve it. So, I mean, how do you square that as you work with policymakers to really drive home the need for a, a very focused approach?
0: So that's a great question. So w- we were very happy that, about the emergency broadband program that you mentioned. It was in the legislation that passed Congress in late December and was signed into law at that time. And so the FCC has done a great job of moving very, very quickly to write rules for the program, which will enable the program to cover you know as many people as possible uh, and to try to streamline any sort of red tape. So. I think what we're seeing, Sean, is that um, we need permanent changes uh, to these very vari- to, to really solve the digital divide. The digital divide is not temporary. The digital divide is also not limited in geography. It's an urban, suburban, rural, 50-state problem. So we need a permanent overhaul of all the existing programs that the government has focused. To focus them specifically on the digital divide but in the meantime you know people can't wait so you know no matter whether you're trying to uh, register for a vaccine you're filing an unemployment claim you're doing your taxes your kid is doing your home his home or her homework you know everyone needs great connectivity the COVID has taught us that and we need it now so these emergency programs first the uh, emergency broadband benefit program that you described, and second, these changes to the E-rate program, which we hope will get enacted in the next, you know, very, very soon, next few days, you know, they were, are gonna make temporary huge progress, but, you know, in parallel, Qualcomm and many other companies are saying, you know, we need a permanent solution to comprehensively address that problem. You know, hopefully we will see that emerge over the next um, several weeks. Um, But I would say the progress on an emergency, you know, accelerated basis is, you know, really, really big. Um, But, you know, these programs, the emergency funding is going to run out, right? So the emergency broadband program has $3.2 billion of funding. What happens after that? Well, you know, we need a permanent uh, focused approach to solve the digital divide. And I think the good news is the $3.2 billion program was bipartisan, You know, there there is no one who argues on the other side that the digital divide is just fine and it's not a problem. Everyone knows it's a big problem that needs to be addressed.
2: Agree. I mean, that's a a, an excellent summary. I mean, it was a little bit surprising last December when the uh, COVID package came out um, and did not include the dedicated E-rate funding, only because you know we all thought the need for the funding for E-rate had been pretty well established. But that having said. You know, having worked previously on Capitol Hill, I know the process can sometimes be unpredictable and consensus is hard to achieve. So we're just very pleased now. Um, Chairman Pallone in the House and Chairman Doyle um, kept their eye on the ball and were successful in including this 7.6 billion in the House bill. And um, so that's, that's a great step forward.
1: In keeping with the theme of of the show here i did want to discuss the the 5g angle um we've seen a lot of talk about 5g fixed wireless access um in the us some limited rollouts from tier one operators right now focus on on urban areas potentially some uh, expansion into rural areas but really nothing to speak of at scale today I did want to bring up that that Qualcomm recently updated its uh, 5G fixed wireless access platform using the Snapdragon X65. And with that announcement, one of your colleagues kind of framed it around the limitations of, of copper and fiber networks and the economics of putting those everywhere where they need to be. So maybe you all could share with me some thoughts on how you see 5G FWA as a uh, Another tool that can be brought to bear on solving for this digital divide problem.
0: Uh, sure, yeah, we're very excited about that. Um, you know, w- before COVID, the, whenever I spoke about five G, not the policymakers, but just the, the neighbors and friends, the usual response back was, "Oh, five G, what's that going to do for me? Why would I need that? I mean, I already have a cell phone." You know, fast forward to COVID. You know, everyone needs better connectivity. Everyone's online all the time. You have something better, faster, that's going to give a you know, better connectivity. Everyone wants it and they want it now. So that's where 5G fixed wireless access fits right in. So, you know, in rural broadband, especially, but also in urban and suburban areas, uh, covering the last mile with broadband is always the hardest economic and technical problem. So you know, even in the most rural of areas, you know, on the highway, usually there is connectivity. But you know, if you go off the highway about a mile, all of a sudden it gets really, really hard to get connectivity. So what fixed wireless access is doing with our new Qualcomm antenna module is we can provide a gigabit of connectivity, so really fast, great broadband. Um, wirelessly to a fixed location. And that could be a school, a hospital, a doctor's office, a library, uh, a community center, all the places in rural areas where people still congregate or, or to your home. And we can provide uh, that connectivity uh, three miles or more away from the base station. So now all of a sudden the last mile is not such a technical problem. And you know, as 5G, fixed wireless proliferates quickly and broadly as we, you know, as it's starting to do and as it will continue to do, all of a sudden the costs go down. And so this becomes not just a great technical solution, but a very cost-effective solution. In even in urban areas and, and, in you know, big uh, apartment buildings, this could be a great solution, you know, using uh, to provide backhaul. And then, you know, within the apartment building for Inside every apartment, of course, you can have a uh, Wi-Fi or some other solution. So, you know, we're very excited about this, especially for this digital divide issue, because again, the econo- economics of solving the digital divide are are so important. So finally we have an economic, cost-effective way to cover the last mile, the last couple miles in you know, very hard to cover areas. So it's a it's a it's a big development
1: so the digital divide it's it's not a a new issue it's not limited to the US it's a global issue that covid has put into sharp focus and even if you don't have kids in school the list of macroeconomic benefits associated with an educated citizenry it's long and it's broadly relevant to to all of us i mean even the World Economic Forum took this up recently in its establishment of the uh, Edison Alliance, where your CEO-elect, Cristiano, is a a champion. And that's all about public-private partnerships that can accelerate a solution to the digital divide at a global scale. So, Dean Alice, I guess my final question here is, what can I do, what can our listeners do to help make this change permanent?
0: Well, on the U.S. side of it, I'll tell you what you can do, Sean. Email your senators, call your senators, urge them to support this uh, provision to provide emergency funding for the E-rate program, so that we can finally get the um, funding to provide all the low income students in the country, which is over 12 million uh, with connectivity and and a connected device, those who don't have them. So that's one concrete thing that you can do. And then I think, you know, the other thing is as we all, Start to learn about the things that 5G can do, uh, and the things that uh, better connectivity can bring. You know, constantly share that with family, friends, the re- you know, all your business acquaintances. Show people how uh, um, the connectivity is having a concrete positive impact. But you know, I would like to just close on the uh, on a positive note that um, we never thought uh, a year ago. That we would be in this situation of COVID, and how what a devastating impact it's had. Five hundred thousand, more than five hundred thousand people in the United States having passed away from it. It's been a horrible experience, but now there's you know big light at the end of the tunnel. Things seem to be really falling into place with the vaccines and with support around the country. So you know hopefully we will get out of this thing. The kids will have the connection. And the devices, regardless of income level, to help them. And, you know, we will move on to, uh, you know, building things back uh, much better.
2: Well, I think that's a great summary. Um, In addition to, you know, reaching out to senators, which I fully agree with, and that's very timely right now, I think people can reach out to their local government officials. And in the U.S., there is now new federal funding that's been made available um, but it's at the discretion of local school districts how they choose whether or not they choose to spend it on providing connectivity and devices to all students. It's so uh, people can demand of their local school districts to find out what they're doing, what the program is, whether or not it's effective, and I would say that would even apply to households where they don't have school-aged children. If you're living in a community, you may want to know what are you doing to ensure that um, students are getting the uh, education that should be available to them, including access to remote education.
1: Well, Dean Alice, it's a pleasure to, uh, to have you back on the show to discuss this, this really important issue and to continue our conversation around whether 5G will change the world.
2: Thanks a lot. Great.
1: Thank you very much. Will 5G Change the World is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. The show today was produced and edited by me, Sean King. Thanks for listening.